So since the Bible tells us that this is a spiritual battle happening, and that God is at work doing more than we can even imagine, what do we do with the confusion and despair? Because we started off saying and talking about how God is true to his word, and he actually is restraining evil and suffering, even if it may be hard for us to see. He still is. So what do you do with the confusion and the despair? Well, certainly one thing uh, that is tempting uh, that we uh, that we can't do is try and figure out why. Try and answer all the questions why. And of course, that is what we want to do. Of course, that's what I want to do. I mean, this Newtown tragedy, uh, the question of why. Why kids? Why would this kid, uh, why would the uh, killer do this? Um, why at an elementary school? Why his mother? Uh, a lot of whys. And I don't know if we'll ever get an answer to a lot of them. And I think that even if God did give us an answer to some of these questions of why, I don't know if we'd like the answers too much. And I bet it might look something very similar to what happens between kids and parents when you don't like something, when you don't like an answer or response that you get. You start asking more questions. You start the negotiation process and going back and forth. And so like it says in the Bible, in Isaiah uh, chapter 55, his ways are higher than our ways. And so when we have that confusion and despair, certainly the why is going to creep in, the helplessness is going to creep in, and there's not an immediate cure for that. But as Christians, what we are encouraged to do is to cry out to God. When that confusion and despair sits in, we cry out to God. So when I came home, after hearing all this information, and trying to go about and, and, and do the regular things when I get home, I just had to freeze in my tracks. I knew that I couldn't do the same things that I was doing before. The routine wasn't going to work. I had to cry out to God in prayer. There's something welling up inside of me, and there's something welling up inside of us. we got to cry out to God. Just like it says in Psalm 61, verse 2. And this was posted um, on the uh, church Facebook uh, page this week. But it's a good verse of uh, giving us an idea of what to do with the confusion and despair. And so David writes, Hear my cry, O God. Listen to my prayer. From the ends of the earth I call to you. I call as my heart grows faint. That sounds like despair. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. So David was very familiar with confusing times. Times of despair. I mean, he was chosen to be king as a teenager. And so the bulk of his, uh, rest of his adolescent years and adult years running, hiding in caves, living in enemy territory. There's not a whole lot more that's more confusing than that. And certainly he despaired even of life. And what did he do? He just cried out to God. And he was honest about it with God. And I think that's a good thing. Uh, because I think some people at times think that if we're good Christians, you know, things won't bother us. They won't shake us. You know, we got to be honest with God and pour our hearts out honestly before God. Because those prayers are the ones that really matter and those are the ones God is really going to work with. So what can we do with confusion and despair? That was the question. That was our first one out of the three. We take it to God and try and understand that there's more going on, that God is working behind the scenes, 
just like Victoria Soto, just like the people that lived in the Twin Towers, just like the Miracle on the Hudson, and many other stories. So the second question, is there a place for hope? Is there a place for hope? And this Newtown tragedy, is there a place for hope? So I believe the answer is yes, because God can be redemptive in any terrible situation. That's the story of God in the Bible. Redeeming, reclaiming whatever was lost, he is able to do. That's the story on Easter. He has redeemed us. He has beaten death. Augustine said it like this. He said, since God is the highest good, he would not allow any evil to exist in his work unless his omnipotence and goodness were such as to bring good even out of evil. And so basically what he said is, listen, God is the highest good. And uh, if somehow evil creeped in, uh, he, what he would try and do is uh, make that evil work for good. So no matter what, he is the ultimate good. You know, it's pretty interesting, uh, uh, that night, um, no, sorry, Saturday night, uh, there was an interview on uh, ABC, and, uh, you know, they were interviewing kids, and, and I have some mixed feelings about, uh, you know, all these reporters interviewing all these kids right away and asking these questions, but nonetheless, this little girl got asked, this little girl that was in the school, uh, about her situation, about what happened, and her response was, it was amazing, couldn't have been any older than eight or nine years old. She says, God has a plan. She said, sometimes we don't know what God is doing, and it's actually really hard to see what kind of plan God might have right now because this is so horrible. But it says that God has a plan, and sometimes he works in mysterious ways. So maybe we won't see what God's plan is tomorrow or next week or next year, but I do believe God has a plan. And it might sound silly because I'm only a kid, but that's what I think. That's amazing. See, she has an understanding that there is a place for hope. And that no matter how bleak it looks, God has a plan. She got it. Uh, there was a Washington Post survey of Katrina survivors. Uh, so in Hurricane Katrina... Uh, they had some, uh, I guess we would call refugees, they had them shipped over, uh, bust over to Houston to stay in Houston. And they took a survey, a survey of these Katrina survivors. Said that um, 81% said the ordeal strengthened their belief in God, while 4% said that it weakened it. I think that's amazing. And I think that's a good thing, and I think that's a reason for hope. 81% said that devastation, that incredible, uh, difficult time, tumultuous time, perilous time, strengthened their belief in God. While 4% said it weakened it. You know, I think it's also very encouraging and hopeful to know that there might be the most prayers ever over Connecticut right now. I mean, if you read all these Facebook posts, you see... Um, how they're gathering before uh, professional sports, uh, articles all over the world. And if even half the people are praying that are saying that they are praying, it's actually really encouraging and nice to know that people are praying for Connecticut, they're praying for Newtown. So the prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. And even if only a few of these people praying, 
are righteous, are Christians before God. These, this is opening doors. This is opening floodgates for God to work. That brings hope. See, what we have to understand is that there is hope because God sometimes does not remove the pain. Sometimes he stands right next to us to help us through it. Let me make sure you get that. Sometimes he does not remove the pain. He stands right next to us to help us through it. You know, the story in the Bible about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And uh, basically they were asked to worship another god, to actually worship uh, the ruler of that particular country as God. And they said, you know, no, we're not going to do it. And he said, listen, um, you know, you guys should, and if you don't, you're going to get thrown in the furnace, this fiery furnace, and you're going to die. And they said, you know, their, their response is very interesting. They said, well, we can't do that. We're going to worship our God. And he has the power to deliver us. And the other part of what they said is very interesting, which a lot of people, I think, miss sometimes. And even if God does not, we know that he will be with us. And so they understood, hey, listen, God could definitely rescue us from this fire. But at the same time, he might choose not to. And so it's interesting. They throw them in this fire. In fact, the ruler turns up this furnace seven times hotter. He throws these men uh, bound, tied up. He throws them inside this fire. He looks a little bit later. He says, hey, those three guys, they're walking around in there. And there's a fourth. And they're not bound anymore. So he calls them over. He calls over uh, servants. He said, hey, listen, get them out of there. He gets them out. The Bible says they don't even smell like smoke. See, God didn't take away the fiery furnace from them. What he did is he stood in the fiery furnace with them. That's the way he chose to work in that particular time. And sometimes he does that. And the Bible says they didn't even smell like smoke. Didn't even touch them or affect them. So we have to have an understanding of that. See, there's hope that people see the reality of evil. And that God has already conquered death and that he is in control and that justice will be served. You know, we talked last week, uh, you know, about the topic of hell and Jesus talking about hell. You know, it's in situations like these, you know, I really have no problem with hell. It's hopeful to know, for people to understand that these days are short. And that people should start to invest and appreciate where maybe they have not in years. It's hopeful to know uh, that all of these things are being brought to the forefront of people's minds. Where meaningful relationships and family and friendships have to be invested in. And, and, and maybe they'll be called to reevaluate some of this. That's hopeful. Because God is able and he is at work restoring, recovering, and redeeming. Even if we can't see it. That gives me hope. There's a woman in history. Her name is Fanny Crosby. She uh, is not the sister of Bill Crosby or anything. Cosby, sorry. Her name is Fanny Crosby. Uh, not uh, Cosby. So that joke wasn't really funny because, uh, yeah, didn't work. But anyways, Fanny Crosby. Uh, she was blinded by an incompetent doctor at six weeks of age. I can't imagine being that parent. Ugh, I would hurt that doctor severely. Six weeks of age, he makes a mistake, now she's blind. You know, she wrote more than 8,000 hymns. And she said that the first sight she will see is Jesus' face. She said that if perfect eyesight were offered to her tomorrow, 
she wouldn't take it because she believed that she was better prepared to sing praises and help others do so in her current state. That's amazing. Completely different mind shift. Experiencing God in a whole new way, at a whole new level. Sometimes God uses evil and suffering and tragedy to do that. In 9-11, this woman, Lisa Beamer, her husband died on United Airlines Flight 93. She said, I can't see all the reasons God might have allowed this when I know he could have stopped it. I don't like how his plan looks from my perspective right now. But knowing that he loves me and that he can see the world from start to finish helps me say I can make it. See, death has the ability to draw our attention to what matters most. There is hope in that. There is hope in that. You know, there's a passage about Joseph in the Old Testament. And Joseph would know something about evil and suffering and being taken advantage of. And Joseph, as a young man, was really a miracle child. That he was even born, it was a miracle. And he would have these dreams, he'd be able to interpret them. And uh, God had a special hand on his life. And what he did is he uh, really got ahead of God. And he uh, told his brothers about some of his dreams where he was getting worshipped and his brothers were worshipping him. And, you know, he was already getting special treatment by one of his parents. And so his brothers did not like that. And so what they did is uh, they sold him into slavery. And uh, he ended up uh, becoming a ruler of, uh, as far as slaves go, uh, a taker, a carer, really, of a household. And then he was accused of a crime he did not commit. And then he ended up working in the jails. And then while he was in the jail, he met some people uh, that worked for Pharaoh. And he said, hey, listen, you know, when you get out, tell Pharaoh about my gift of interpreting dreams. It might uh, become helpful. Of course, they forgot about him. And so you have this story of this man being sold into slavery, going to jail, convicted of a crime he didn't do, spending time in jail. This is over a period of, uh, some Bible scholars think, 14, 15 years, maybe 20 years at the most. And so what happens is all of a sudden, one of the guys who was with in jail, a cupbearer to the Pharaoh, says, uh, you know, hey, listen, we met this guy in prison. Uh, because Pharaoh was having some bad dreams and nightmares, and, you know, he had all his sorcerers and all his magicians and all his diviners uh, come before him and say, hey, listen, what are these dreams about? And uh, nobody could answer. And so the cupbearer said, hey, listen, I met this guy in prison. You should talk with him. So Joseph ends up interpreting the dream, interprets it correctly, and then ends up becoming the second in command in the most powerful nation on earth, Egypt. And what he does is he saves Egypt and all surrounding countries from a devastating famine by wisdom given to him from God. And what happens is while he's in second command, his family, which did not live in Egypt, but they live near, so they experienced the famine, they actually came to Egypt looking for food. And when they came, sure enough, they came in contact with Joseph. And if I was Joseph, um, I probably would have taken advantage of that time and really stuck it to my brothers for selling me to slavery, for ruining my life. Probably right then and there, I would ruin their life for a while to let them know how it feels. But Joseph didn't do that. In fact, he responds to them in an amazing way. He says, you, in Genesis uh, chapter 50, verse 20, he says, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then, 
don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. It was amazing. He says, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. So God took that horrible situation and turned that thing right around to actually save lives. So it may look bleak, but certainly there was hope. And there was hope because there is a God that saves. There is a God that has risen from the dead. And there is a God where he is in total control and loves us fully and completely. There is hope in that.